You're listening to audio from the Regenerate Podcast, a ministry of River City Church in Lewiston, Idaho. For more information about Regenerate, visit rivercitychurch.us. There we go. Check. One. We're going. We're good. Okay, so uh, we are going to be in the Gospel of Mark chapter 14. We're going to be in verses 1 through 11. So, and it's, uh, if anybody, if you know anything about the Bible, um, even if you don't know much about the Bible, a lot of people have heard the story of Judas. Anybody? Raise your hand if you've ever heard of Judas before. Yeah. Um, so last week um, when we were together, we read about how Jesus of Nazareth was teaching his disciples about the end of the world. And I don't know about you guys, but if a friend of mine is talking to me about the end of all things, and it's, he's talking about the end of a way of life, right? The destruction of the temple and all that. If a friend of yours is talking to you about the end, usually the first question you should ask is, you good, bro? Like, uh, you, are you okay? Uh, because that's kind of concerning. But suddenly, in chapter 14, ka-ching, the narrative changes. And right at this point, uh, Mark, the, the author of this gospel, he starts telling us some, uh, he starts to unfold the drama. Somebody say drama. But you have to say it with like a Z snap, like drama. No, drama. Okay, there is some serious drama that happens at the end of this book. And it's really, really good. In fact, it's so good that like people still are talking about it today, like 2,000 years later. And it actually, some of the motifs that happen in this book are things that we've read about. Like betrayal is a theme that we love, for instance. How many of you, like betrayal is all over TV. How many of you guys have seen, I don't know, any reality TV show, okay? Where it's always like, I was talking to her, but then she went behind my back, right? And like, and it's always like, I can't believe like he would do that to me. You know, like it's, we, we love that kind of stuff. We date something in human, in human nature, in the human psyche. We, we love stories of betrayal. I don't know why it's kind of messed up. You know, it's, it's messed, but, but we like it. There's something about it that we find attractive. And this is one of the most powerful meta narratives. Even if you're just looking at literature, you're not even like looking at this as an historical document. If you're just looking at this as literature, the story of Judas is one of the most like powerful stories of betrayal. Like it's a, in fact, it's like a term now, like somebody who backstabs you is like a Judas or Benedict Arnold. If you're American, right? Go America. Okay. Um, but we're, we're in Mark chapter 14. And uh, tonight, actually, I believe that God wants to teach us something through this story. And as we read it, I want you to pay attention to the actions of two different kinds of people in this story. So this was written about 55 AD. This is give or take about 20 years after Jesus had, had uh, died and resurrected from death, according to his, the teachings of his followers. And so this is a very uh, kind of a scandalous story. And it begins like this. It's, it's pretty amazing how Mark unfolds it, though, because he builds the tension so well. He's such a good writer that he, be, he starts to build the, the tension of the drama. Again, somebody say drama, drama of what's happening. So in Mark chapter 14, it starts like this in verse 1. It says this, it says, It was now two days before the Passover and the Feast of Unleavened Bread, and the chief priests and the scribes were seeking how to arrest him by stealth and kill him. For they said, Not during the feast, lest there be an uproar from the people. And while he was at Bethany in the house of Simon the leper, as he was reclining at table, a woman came with an alabaster flask of ointment of pure nard, very costly. And she broke the flask and poured it over his head. There were some who said to themselves indignantly, why was the ointment wasted like that? For this ointment could have been sold for more than 300 denarii and given to the poor. And they scolded her. But Jesus said, leave her alone. Why do you trouble her? She has done a beautiful thing to me. For you will always have the poor with you. And whenever you want, you can do good for them. But you will not always have me. She has done what she could. 
She has uh, anointed my body before, beforehand for burial. And truly I say to you, wherever the gospel is proclaimed in the whole world, what she has done will be told in memory of her. Then Judas Iscariot, one of the, who was one of the twelve, went to the chief priests in order to betray him to, the, to them. And when they heard it, they were glad and promised to give him money. And he sought an opportunity to betray him. This is God's word. Let's pray real quick. God, we ask you to come into this room and to open our hearts to receive what it is that you want to receive, that you want us to receive, that you uh, are wanting to share with us. God, I pray that this wouldn't just be a time where we are inspired or a time where we are challenged, but actually a time where you actually have a space to speak. So God, let your words be my words. Lord, let uh, the words of my mouth and the meditations of my heart be acceptable in your sight, O God, our rock and our redeemer. And everybody who trusts in Jesus said... All right. How many of you guys, okay, know there are, some, there are some things in life that are just love it or hate it. Just love it or hate it, right? For me, that's raw tomatoes, okay? That, exactly, because they are a love it or hate it thing, right? Raw tomatoes are love it or hate it. Some of you guys, some of you just love the flavor of a fresh-picked, garden-ripe, juicy cherry tomato because the bursting, the, the ministry of that flavor in your mouth is just, is just, is, is, it fills you with joy. Others of us, when we bite into a cherry tomato, it feels like and kind of tastes like because it feels like biting into a giant zit. And I don't <laughs> like that feeling. It's just, now, now you're never going to eat a cherry tomato again, right? You're never going to eat that again. So I, I can't do it. I don't do raw tomatoes. I will do ketchup. I will do tomato sauce. I will do, I will do sun-dried tomatoes. Of course, I'll do pizza. Everybody does pizza. I will do all kinds of tomato products. I will not do raw tomatoes. I rebuke that. And uh, so anyway, um, but in this, in this drama that's unfolding, what we see is people who have a love it or hate it relationship, but not with a thing, but with Jesus. So Jesus of Nazareth is a love him or hate him kind of guy. And I, that's the interesting thing about him is like anytime, like anytime you, you share a story about Jesus, you can either clear a room or people get drawn in. It's like a magnet and, and some things get pushed away. Some things get drawn in. And why is that? Why is he so such a polarizing figure? And why is it that in this story, one person responded to Jesus, to his presence with an act of like real, with an extraordinary act of worship? And then another person reacts with an extraordinary act of betrayal. Why does that happen? Well, first, let's look at the background. So in the background of this drama, we see the plot of the chief priests and the scribes in verses 1, 1 through 2. So now this, it says it was two days before the Passover. So the Passover was a Hebrew feast that was, that was commanded by God through the prophet Moses in the book of Exodus. And he said uh, this was a big day in Jewish culture because it was the day that you, you remembered and celebrated the day that God brought the people of Israel out of slavery. Kind of a big deal. And pause. You know, I love that God is a God who reminds you that you need to celebrate the things that he's done for you in the past. So much so that he's like, every year at this time, you need to remember it. Happy, hashtag happy Easter, right? You need to remember it. And so the, the laws were very simple. You had to provide a year-old unblemished male lamb or goat. This is according to Exodus 12.5. It was sacrificed in the temple on the afternoon of the 14th of, it looks like it's Nissan, but it looks, it looks like uh, Nissan, like the, like the car company. It's, it's not. It was the name of a Hebrew month. But it was like late March, early April, somewhere. So right around this time of year, uh, depending on 
how your calendar works. So in our calendar, it would have been like March or April. And so, people, and so this is when you would show up in Jerusalem. And so you had to go to Jerusalem. And so G, that's where Jesus was. This is 2,000 years ago in the Middle East. And Jerusalem was the place where God's temple was. The Jewish people believed that God was the creator of all things and that he met with his people in this temple. So you had to go to the temple. So he's there and he's in this town called Bethany, which is outside of Jerusalem, right? And so you had to slaughter this, uh, the animal and it had to be eaten after sunset and family gatherings in private homes. This is according to Exodus 12, Numbers 9, Deuteronomy 16. It was the greatest festival of the year, but for the religious leaders of the day, religious people didn't like Jesus because he was ruining everything. <laughs> he shows up the week before he showed up and all of these crowds were astonished at his teaching and that he was going around and he's teaching these things that they believe were blasphemous because he was saying things like, you know, how can the scribe say that the Christ is the son of David? The chosen one of God is the son of David. David himself in the Holy Spirit declared, the Lord said to my Lord, sit at my right hand until I put your enemies under your feet. David himself calls him Lord, so how is he his son? So indicating that the Messiah who was going to set his people free forever was not going to be just, was going to be more than just a man. And they were like, whoa, 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 what are you saying about yourself? And on and on it goes. But they were seeking a reason to arrest him. And it says that they wanted to arrest him by stealth. Somebody say stealth. But you have to say it quietly. Like, yeah, because it's stealth, right? So, so yeah, it's, it's stealth. They wanted to arrest him by stealth. And immediately when I saw stealth, I think the I think stealth fighters because I was I was a nerd. <laughs> I was a kid. A nerd from the 90s. I was a nerd from the 90s. And for some reason, kids in the 90s were obsessed with stealth fighters. Like, dude, you, nobody can see a stealth fighter because it's invisible. It's a radar. <laughs> like the Lockheed Martin F-117 Nighthawk is like, <laughs> yes, I do know the, the model number and all that kind of stuff. Anyway, um, stealth. Why did they want to kill him by stealth, though? Why did they want to ninja this dude? Well, it's because they couldn't exactly... They couldn't exactly attack Jesus in broad daylight because people were astonished at, at his teaching. They loved him. But this was not just an act of cowardice. Okay, I want you to understand this. The religious leaders are not just like, oh, we can't attack Jesus because if we do, like, then we'll, be, then we'll look bad. This is not about them. They are not afraid of getting canceled. Okay, They're afraid of getting killed because they know that if they stir up some kind of uproar among the people, if everyone gets upset, then who's going to show up? The police. That's what's going to happen. The Romans are going to show up. The Romans who are occupying their country, the Romans who have colonized them, they are going to show up and they are merciless. We do not want them in our city because if they, they have a lot to lose. We could lose the temple, right? They could take away all of our religious rites and ceremonies and all of this will be over. So there's a reason that they are acting by stealth. So that's the background. And it's Gosh, Mark is such a good storyteller because he kind of gives this background. You're like, ooh, that's foreboding. And then he suddenly switches scenes to the foreground. In the foreground, we see an act of extraordinary worship. Worship. So Jesus is at the house of Simon the leper. I love this, that he goes to a place <laughs> that's owned by a guy named Simon who is known as the leper. So if you don't know what leprosy is, it's basically a biblical term for any like skin disease. So Simon, the skin disease guy. So that was how, how can, like, you, I remember uh, seeing a comedian who, has, who had a neck tattoo and he's talking about, yeah, I drink a lot of Mountain Dew, um, so much so that the guy at the local 7-Eleven um, calls me Mountain Dew guy. Do you, do you have any idea how many Mountain Dews it takes to stop being neck tattoo guy and become Mountain Dew guy? It's a lot. It's a lot. So much, right? Um, <laughs> Shane Smith, check him out. He's hilarious. Anyway, uh. The, the same thing, like this, this, this was in, uh, he's at the house of Simon the leper. He is 
skin disease guy. Everyone knows who he is. Everyone knows that he suffers from a skin disease. But this was in Jewish culture, this is a big deal. If you're a leper, nobody can spend time with you because you are unclean. I love that Jesus goes into places that people think are unclean in order to buy his presence to make that place clean. He, it doesn't matter where you come from. It doesn't matter what you have done right or what you have done wrong. It doesn't matter where, what, your, uh, what your religious background is. It doesn't matter who you are. Jesus comes to spend time with us. So Jesus is at the house of Simon the leper, a man known by his disease. And then... It says a woman showed up. Oh, this, oh, you guys, this is so shocking to a Jewish audience because it's like, first of all, we're at a leper's house. Second of all, a woman. Now, now all you girls like, wait a minute. Like, this is 2023. What are you saying? I'm, what I'm saying, yeah. somebody's about to Z-snap on me. Like, let me tell you about women's rights, okay? Like, I'm, I, I'm fully aware of that. But in that time, women didn't have a lot of rights. And women, most of, of course, most of all, in a very highly traditional, highly religious highly conservative culture, you don't approach a dude who is single when you are single. Like, and you don't, you don't approach men when you're single because that, that implies that you are available or that you're like kind of hitting on him or you're wanting him to marry you or something like that. It's just too forward. So this woman comes to Jesus and in uh, John 12, 3, she gets identified. This is actually Mary, the, the sister of Martha and Lazarus. But for Mark's purpose, her identity is not important. What, are, what is important is her actions. So, so she takes some ointment of pure nard, very, and it is very costly. Do you guys know what nard is? No, it's like it's like super. It's, it's super gnarly. Anyway, that's a really bad job. That doesn't even. I'll throw that one away. Okay, I uh, just didn't say that. Pure nard. Okay, so nard comes from uh, a lot of people. A lot of theologians and scholars believe it was spike nard, which comes from it's native to high altitudes in the Himalayas. Okay. And its range extends from there into Western Asia. The roots and spike-like woolly young stems are dried before the leaves unfold and are used for making perfume. It is still used in India as a perfume for the hair. And there's every reason to believe that the spike nard of scripture originally came from India. So it said it was very costly. And part of the reason it was costly was probably because of the long distance involved in importing this stuff. So it would have to be imported from the East. So it was like, ooh, this is like, this is nard. And so you keep it inside of a, a vessel that was sealed shut, and it could only be broken open once. Once you opened it, I mean, that was it. This is a big deal. And you go, okay, big deal, perfume. So, so she got like some, so she went and got some Chanel number no. five, and now she's like going to like pour it on a big deal, you know, like, did it smell manly at least? Like, you know, what did it, what, what, what's the big deal? So she poured it over his head. She poured it over his head. Why is that important? Because she's anointing him. Somebody say anointing. But say it with a shaky hand like a Pentecostal. Anointing. Like you got anointing. So when we talk about the anointing, a lot of times we talk about somebody who is very talented and we go, oh, it's so anointed. But we're not talking about that. Anointing was a symbol where somebody would pour oil on your head and say, you are blank now. You are the king now. You are the high priest now. And this oil that I'm pouring on you is symbolic of your change in stature. But what she is pouring out on him is not just is symbolizing that he's a king, but Jesus indicates that what she was doing was anointing him for burial. Now I'm going to come back around to that. Now she, this was an extremely costly moment because um, it was uh, so because and it was so shocking to his disciples that it says some of them, some of them said, "I can't believe she did this. I can't believe this." The emphasis is on their shock. And they said, this could have been sold for more than 300 denarii. 
300 denarii. You're like, big deal, 300 bucks. No, 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 no. A denarii is a day's wages. So just, just because I, I wanted to figure this out, I, did, I looked up the average wages in Idaho. Okay, just, just, just for, you know, just, to, just so we could look at that. 40, it's about 47,000, which is a travesty. We should be making more in Idaho. Somebody's, somebody should be like, here, here, right? Amen, right? It's like 47,000 40, or like 49,000 a year. I think it's around $49,000 a year. If you do the math, though, and, and you break that up into 52 weeks and then you break up into five days and all that kind of stuff, basically what it, and then, and then you do the math and say 300 work days in Idaho, if something was worth 300 days of labor, which would have been a denarii, it would be worth roughly $57,394.62 in the state of Idaho. 57 grand. And she just dumps it all on his head. Like we're talking a year and a half of wages just shot like that. And so like this could have been sold for a year's wages like in, or a year and a half's wages and it could have been given to the poor, right? And then they scolded her. Why? She was worshiping Jesus. But real worship is really easy to misunderstand. How many of you guys have been to a religious service of some kind? You've been to a church meeting or something like that where you saw somebody and went, oh man, they're really worshiping because of a way that they're acting or something that they're saying, right? Right? They didn't even realize. And these guys have been walking with Jesus for, the scripture tells us it was like three, three and a half years. These guys have been following Jesus and they see this woman do this and they're like, I don't get it. Like, come on, bro. Like, this is an act of extravagant, extraordinary, and very passionate worship. A lot of times we don't understand that. There was this artist, uh, her name's Rita Springer. She's a, uh, a worship leader, actually. So she, she writes songs for churches, and, and uh, she was a part of the Vineyard Church movement for a while. She's been a part of Bethel Church and some other things like that. But she's a tremendous uh, songwriter and singer and piano player. But she was told in the late 90s when she was starting her career, she was told that her voice was too sultry. It was like too sensual. You know, like you sound a little too much like Cheryl Crow and stuff, which I'm like, Cheryl Crow is not sensual, but you know, whatever. They found that they felt that her voice was too raspy. It was too like kind of edgy for Christian music. Why is it that Christians don't understand a good thing when it's right in front of us? Why is it that we don't understand something that's worshipful or passionate or something that is centered on the gospel when it's right in front of us? I don't understand that. And then so Jesus responds. He says, leave her alone. <laughs> Bro, leave her alone. And we can learn something very important about worship. Because I think when we, uh, I mean, what comes to mind when you hear the word worship? Just throw any words out there. Music. Okay, what else? Money. Money. Giving your money. Dead rams. Dead rams. <laughs> yeah, just a lot of dead animals. <laughs> you know, what else comes to mind when you hear the word worship? What's that? Being on your hands and knees, like a physical posture. Okay, yeah. Worshiping, right? Um, that, those are all parts of and expressions of worship, right? We don't do a lot of the animals anymore. That's, uh, those are against certain laws in the state of Idaho that we don't even need to cross that line anymore. But uh, <laughs> um, anyway, the point is this, though. It was an extravagant act of worship. I don't think we... She was so, being so close to Jesus physically, she was so moved by who he was and what he had done in her, and obviously in her life, but also in the lives of other people. She was so moved by him that she decided to take the thing that was most expensive, probably the most precious thing that she owned. And she's like, 
I'm going to dump it on him. What makes somebody do that? That is evidence of a life that has been transformed by the presence of God. And you can't fake that. See, a lot of religious people were really, were really good at being fake. Go, we're good at showing up at church and like going, oh, praise Jesus, or telling people what the Bible says, or posting stuff on Facebook or on Instagram or whatever. Like, you're like, Facebook, what are you, a millennial? Yes, I am. I'm old. Okay, so, but you're like, people posting stuff and saying that, saying religious things. We're really good at putting on a show, but this is more than a show. This is something that is costly that she is giving to him as a sacrifice of praise and worship. And for some of you, maybe you do need to show up in church and lift up your hands and dance around a little bit to the music because you're too chicken, because you're too afraid of what people think, rather than thinking about what God thinks of you. And we'll have an opportunity to respond and worship later today. But this is, this is what we learned about worship from this woman. Number one, worship is Christ-centered. He said, she has done a beautiful thing to me. This is the heart of worship. It's not about what you look like. It's not about what other people think. Jesus said, she has done a beautiful thing to me. It was a deeply personal thing, and it was centered on him. She was adoring him. She was so taken by him that she was like, I just want, I underst she understood something about Jesus, and she understood something about his deity and what he deserved. She understood more about what he deserved than even his closest followers. And she takes the thing that is most precious to her and says, it is all yours. Secondly, worship is not just humanitarian decency. I think sometimes people confuse like, well, like, and people will say things like Christians are hypocrites because they're really mean, blah, 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 which is all true for the most part. And we, we've got, we got to, we got to take that one on the teeth sometimes, <laughs> take that on the chin. Uh, but, it's not just about being a decent person. There's lots of decent people in the world. There's lots of wonderful charities out there. There's lots of humanitarian people out there who are here to, to help and to, to pour out their lives for those in need. But it's more than that. Because your worship can just be something that you do for your own self-aggrandizement or for your own uh, sense of self-worth, make you feel good. She's not doing this so she feels good. She's wasting her most precious perfume on Jesus. Secondly, or sorry, that was secondly. Thirdly, worship is prophetic. It's prophetic. I don't even know if this woman fully grasped what she was doing when she did that, but he pointed it out. He said, she, uh, she did something she could not have fully understood. He said, she has prepared, anointed my body for burial. Now, he has told his disciples multiple times that he's going to die. And they're still like, I don't know what that means, Jesus. That kind of sounds kind of figurative, you know, like, oh, yeah, like, you're going to die I, I don't know. Is that like a, just like, is that like you're going to kill it when you get to Jerusalem? Or like, we're just going to, like, I get it. Like, yeah, let's slay, dude. <laughs> I don't know. Uh, they don't understand it. Jesus is saying, oh, I'm literally going to die. And this woman, in anointing him, she's like, he, she is, like I said, anointing is saying, you are blank now. And in this case, she's saying, you are the sacrifice for the world now. You're ready to be buried now. You're ready. One could almost say that this moment is so important is important to Jesus in that it is a part of his an essential part of his preparation that this woman, this amazing, valuable woman, side note, Jesus values women. Jesus values women, and he says that this story will be told in perpetuity for generations about this woman. And you know what else is going to be told along with that story? You're you guys going, why did she do that? <laughs> You know, 
to this woman, she becomes an essential part of Jesus' preparation. It was a prophetic action. She didn't even know she was predicting the future when she did it. But fourthly, her worship is rewarded because her story gets told. Real worship, really pouring yourself out to God, crying out to Him in prayer when it doesn't make sense, Speak, you know, sharing His Word when, it, when it's difficult, uh, giving when you feel like you don't have anything left to give, make, and, endeavoring to make a difference in the life of someone just because you feel the love of God for them. Those acts of worship get rewarded. And then we transition, though, because at this point, it says some of them saw her and were indignant about the whole thing. It is clarified that this was not just, when it's talking about some of them, at least one of them we know for sure was Judas Iscariot. He has only been mentioned once so far in the Gospel of Mark. He was mentioned way, way back in chapter 3. And in chapter 3, we are told that Judas was one of the twelve one of the twelve, who were called to be with him. He called them to, that they might be with him and he might send them out to preach and have authority to cast out demons. So he was a man who had spiritual authority. He was a man who had closeness with Jesus. He was a man who was one of the twelve. One of, he's, these guys, he's, he's an all-star. He's one of the best. And in this moment, he sees her and something snaps in him. Because in, the other part of the foreground is this, an act of extraordinary betrayal in verses 10 through 11. Now, we all know from Mark that he betrayed Jesus. We also know that he followed him. He cast out demons. He healed the sick. Do you ever think about that? Like somebody, at some point, after all this went down, went, oh yeah, I remember Judas Iscariot. He laid hands on me and like healed my leg. That gives me a weird feeling now. <laughs> you know? Oh yeah, Judas Iscariot. I was suffering from an unclean spirit and he cast it out. Like, you ever think about that? Like, this actually happened in real life. So, but then something about Jesus' interaction with this woman just goes, he's like, I, nope, can't do it. I can't do it. I can't do it anymore. And he, and he leaves the scene. Why? Well, as, as he was one of the 12. Part of this could just be disillusionment. A lot, it's clear that the 12 disciples had an idea of what Jesus was going to be, but they didn't understand fully. Like, that's why Peter rebuked Jesus when Jesus said he was going to die. Peter's like, what are you talking about, man? Stop talking like that. And then Jesus is like, no, you shut up, Satan. And everybody's like, oh, you know. Uh, <laughs> so, it, it, man, what do you do with that? Uh, he's disillusioned. He was one of the closest. And Jesus is rewarding this woman. And he's like, I, what, I, we've been giving to the poor, man. I've been in charge of the money this whole time. Which, by the way, side note, the Apostle John tells us in his account that actually Judas was spending his time stealing from the money and keeping it for himself. But because he's such a hypocrite, he keeps it all a lie and just says, oh, well, I'm keeping the money. Why aren't you paying attention to me? And you pay attention to this woman who gets 57 grand away. I could have used that and invested it for our ministry. Glory, hallelujah. You know, like, yeah. You, and, and like he, He's upset at this woman and, he's a, and the whole time he's a liar and a fraud. He's disillusioned, though. He thought Jesus was going to come into Jerusalem. He thought he was going to take the throne. He thought he was going to overthrow Caesar. He thought that they were going to reign over Israel with him. He thought there was going to be this massive revolution, and it, didn't, it did not happen. And then he just turns, and you're like, oh, I don't know if you read this, and you're just like, oh. If you really let the word sink in, and you go, Judas, one of the twelve. One of the twelve. He turns around, and he goes to the chief priests. Are you for real? You went to them? 
They've been looking for an excuse since chapter two, since chapter one, they have been looking for an excuse to destroy this guy. And you're going to go to them. You're really going to do this. It's disgusting. And it's supposed to be that way. You read that and you go, oh, he goes to the chief priests and tells them, I think I want to betray Jesus to you. What drives somebody to do that? After seeing this act of worship, he's like, I'm done. I'm done with this. I'm done with all this stupid, wimpy, compassionate. He's not going to make Israel great again. He just wants to, he just wants to like make a big deal about women pouring out 57 grand worth of perfume on him. Like, what is this? Healing the sick. Yeah, great. There's no revolution. There's no army. There's no nothing. You're not delivering on what I expected you would be. I'm out. And then it says they promised to give him moolah. Done deal. Sealed. Greed and short-term gain. He was disillusioned, and he was greedy, and he was looking for a short-term solution. You know, what's scary about this story, though, is how many times when I think about my own life, I've looked at Jesus as a means to an end. I've looked at my religion. I've looked at my faith as a means to an end. If you look at Jesus as a means to an end, you are going to be disillusioned, and you are going to settle for short-term gains. You know what? Forget about it. I'm going to do something else. I'm going to... No, forget about it. Forget about it. I'm going to shack up with this person. Forget about it. I'm going to do the stupid thing with my money. Forget about it. I'm going to, I'm going to do me. Forget about it. I, I'm going to lead an alternative lifestyle because I just, I just can't do this. Forget about it. I quit. I'm going to go for the short-term gain. That's what Judas was doing. And I don't know what was going to, we, 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 we have to, I mean, we kind of have to speculate a little bit because we don't know everything that's going through his head. But at the very least, we can see those things among the 12, this sense of disillusionment and not understanding. So we guarantee he was on the deep end of that. And he was definitely greedy. All this leads to this conclusion. And this is what I want to kind of focus on here is this. Your proximity to Jesus does not guarantee transformation. It doesn't. I had a, I remember I had a professor at Western Seminary, uh, shout out to Gary Bashirs if you're ever out there listening to this podcast. Um, <laughs> Dr. Bashirs, you're the man. I remember him talking about, um, it doesn't matter if, if, a, if a pastor is a good person or whatever, uh, it, it doesn't really matter. Like He was talking about like men ministering to women. And, uh, we, you know, at the time there was the hashtag church too and the hashtag me too. There was a lot of things being exposed about um, women who had been sexually abused in the church. It was pretty brutal. Um, but he said, you know, it doesn't matter how many safeguards you have in place. If a guy's got a bad heart, he's got a bad heart. And, I mean, that doesn't just apply to that. That applies to all kinds of sin. That kind of applies to all kinds of things. If, if you've got a bad heart, you've got a bad heart. The fact is, Judas was close to Jesus. And this is a scary thing. Judas was empowered by Jesus. Judas was one of the 12. Judas was one of his best friends. Judas is one of the people who knew him the best, who walked with him for three years. Judas was the one who was there for all of the teaching, the in-depth stuff, not just the stuff for the crowds. Judas was the one who witnessed all of these things. And at the end of all that time, he goes, yeah, I'm done. I'm, I just, you know what? I just want to cash out. I want to get some money and I want to get out of this thing. That's scary to me because it means that 
It doesn't matter how close to Jesus it appears that I am. In fact, my proximity to Jesus does not guarantee my transformation. This woman came to Jesus and her life was so transformed because you can see it in her actions, right? Judas, he was close to Jesus. He spent all of his time doing all the right religious things. You can spend your whole life doing the right religious things, going to the right church, memorizing the right Bible verses and being a good person and being decent and all that. And you can come away and not be transformed. You've just tried on some behavioral modification and it won't work. The only thing that works is the good news about Jesus. So I wanted to end with a story uh, about a buddy of mine. His name is Cody. He was, uh, uh, I hope it's okay that I'm sharing this, but anyway, uh, <laughs> he was telling me, he called me up a while ago. So he came to, a, he, he was part of River City Church for a number of years and he played guitar. He was a phenomenal guitarist. He was, he was part of our worship team and everything. And he left <clears throat> and, uh, and then he, um, I didn't hear from him for quite a while. I remember I went over and visited Portland one time when I was going to seminary, and I had lunch with him, but he seemed really kind of spaced out, just really depressed and isolated. And A few years later, he calls me up, <clears throat> and he says, Hey, Sam, what's up, man? And I was like, Hey, how's it going? He says, I, wanted, I just wanted to uh, talk to you about, dude, uh, I was like, because he'd been trying to call me. I was like, so what do you want to talk about, man? How's life and everything? He's like, dude, I just want to tell you about my Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. And I was like, okay, what cult did you join? Uh, because I was like, I was, I was like, dude, you know I'm a Christian, so why are you saying it like that? Like, are you, are you Mormon now? Is it, is it Jehovah's Witness? What is it? Let's just, just get it over with. And he's like, no, dude, I just wanted to tell you that, like, I, he's like, man, I, uh, for a long time, like when I was serving in the church and stuff, I got to admit, I wasn't saved. He's like, I wasn't, like, I knew it. Like, I grew up on Christian music, and, like, I grew up in the church, and I can quote all the DC talk and Carmen lyrics you want, and you guys don't know nothing about that, but that's real Christian music from the 90s, okay? Uh, but he's like, I could quote all that stuff all you want. I, could, I, I knew all the Bible verses. I even, like, I could tell you what the gospel is, but it wasn't in me. He's like, dude, I got super depressed, and I started getting really deep into, um, into conspiracy theories. He's like, I'm serious. Like, I, I got, he got, he was getting really deep into like QAnon type stuff where he was like, I, he's like, I got to the point where I literally, he's like, I was despairing of life because I, he's like, I honestly believe that a group of Satanist pedophiles was controlling the world. And I know that sounds ridiculous. I know that sounds insane. He's like, but that's where I was. I honestly believe that. And I was so desperate for, I, I thought the world was such a dark, evil, just irredeemable place. And I just, finally one night, he's like, I was, and he's like, I was living with this girl uh, who was an atheist and all this kind of stuff. And I just, I was just really down. And so, and I was depressed. I was suicidal. And one night I just said, God, if you're out there, like if you're real or whatever, just like tell me something. <laughs> and uh, nothing happened. <laughs> you know, he's like, I went to bed, nothing happened. And then uh, I go, and then I, I woke up the next day and uh, I think it's like, it was like two days, two or three days, like nothing happened. I just, it was, I just like, I tossed it up there and just kind of whatever. I went on with my life. It's like, I don't remember exactly what it was, but it was like two or three days later. I was like, uh, I was with my, with my girlfriend at home and suddenly he's like, all I can explain is it just clicked. And I went, it, it just, it, suddenly this thought occurred to me. It was like, it's all about Jesus. 
And he's like, and it was like a key got unlocked. And suddenly everything that I knew as a kid, everything that I learned, all those stupid DC talk lyrics and everything, it all just went like all these things suddenly unlocked and I could see it all. And suddenly I realized, no, of course the world's a dark and horrible place, but Jesus is the light of the world and he's the only one. It's all about him. And I knew it this whole time and I didn't know it at the same time. He had spent years in proximity to the Lord without actually knowing it. And suddenly he was like, I, 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 like, he's like, I was just dumbfounded and I just didn't even know what to do. I was just like, God, change me. Uh, uh, forgive me of my sins. I believe Jesus that you're alive right now. I don't even know what's going on. I just, I believe that you died. I believe that you're alive. I believe all those things that I heard when I was a kid and I've forgotten about all of them. I just want you to have my life. And he's like, and it was just like, suddenly I knew it was real because the instant I did that, I have, he's like, Sam, I have lived with depression my entire life. And that moment, it lifted. And I've never felt that in my entire life. So he got, and he's like, then I got into it. So I told, and then instantly I knew I got to get out of this relationship. <laughs> like, I can't live with this girl anymore. So I went to her, man. It was terrible. Like, we had a horrible fight. And I was like, no, I'm, I'm going to follow Jesus now. And she was like, what are you talking about? And like, we got into it. It was horrible. It went on to like one in the morning. I go to bed and I wake up in the morning. I'm like, man, that was terrible. Like she's, and she comes out and I was just like, man, that was like the worst argument I've ever had. And then she, she's like, Cody, I thought about what you were saying last night. He's like, I kid you not. And she goes, I thought about what you said last night and I want to be a Christian too. <laughs> and so he's like, dude, I just like stumbled my way through it and was like, I think you got to say this and do this. And He's like, and now they've been married for a couple of years. They got a kid on the way. He's an elder of a little church over there in Vancouver, Washington. It's just transformed life. You can live in proximity to Jesus and never actually know him. Or you can get to know him and you'll realize proximity just ne is never enough. And you can never be close enough. I don't know, that's something that Jamie and I always, always used to tell each other when we were first married. And we we're all low EW and we'd be like, I can never get close enough to you. Yeah. yeah. Feel that way. <laughs> feel that way. But also, that's how you should feel about Jesus. And if you don't feel that, because that's because I think all of us want to be like the woman, but a lot of us have Judas in our heart. Like you've, you've got you've got a Judas heart when it actually has to be changed to be more like the woman. And here's the good news: it can happen, but only through the work of the Holy Spirit. And your worship, it, the Old Testament, the prophets of the Old Testament said your worship is meaningless as rags unless you have repentance. And that means a changed heart. And that only comes with the Holy Spirit suddenly making it go click. And when it makes sense, it will rock your world and change your existence. And that's the good news about Jesus. He died in your place for your sins because after this, he went to the cross. And in that moment, he died so that your life could be transformed so that you would no longer have to live so far from God, so far from him that it's like you're not even home anymore. Jesus is the only one who can invite you home to where you have always belonged, where your sins are forgiven, you have a whole new life, and you get to live it forever with God and his people. That's the good news. And until that melts your heart, it doesn't matter how close you get to him. You need to let the Holy Spirit do that work inside of you so that you realize who Jesus is to make it real. Amen? So, here's our questions for tonight. Number one, where do you see the good news in this passage? Number two, what does passionate, really passionate worship look like? Who have you known who demonstrates this? 
And then I actually have a couple other extra ones too if we want to get into them. Um, why is Judas' betrayal such a warning for us? And what should we do differently in response to this? So let's, let's get together and talk about it. Thanks for listening to this week's sermon from the Regenerate Podcast. And if you enjoyed our content, please feel free to subscribe. If you have any questions or would like to send us feedback, send us an email at regeneratelcsc at gmail.com. We'd love to hear from you. Regenerate, changing the world for Jesus, one person at a time.